You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Next week, the lectionary has us picking up in the book of Jonah, and we thought it would be a great idea to preach through the entire book of Jonah. It only is going to be four sermons uh, through the four chapters. And so let me read to you now Jonah chapter 1, which is found on page 774 in your leather-bound Advent Bibles. Jonah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to this, that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account the evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased. You. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to us that we might see uh, what it means uh, to live in your presence and that we might learn from your word, but above all, Lord, that our hearts might be turned toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, in spite of the fact that I read uh, the whole first chapter, but it's a great chapter in the Bible to read, I'm going to look at just the first three verses of the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, sending him to proclaim God's word to the great city of Nineveh. Great by worldly standards, not so great by spiritual standards. A place whose evil God is determined to reckon with. But in response to this word coming to Jonah, we read that, but Jonah rose to flee. He didn't say, I won't go with his lips, but his going down to Joppa said it more clearly as he booked passage to Tarshish. We don't know where Tarshish is, but the Bible does give us some clues elsewhere, and we can piece together that it is in the Mediterranean and possibly as far away as Spain. In a word, Jonah has bought a ticket as far away as he could possibly go in the known world. He's getting as far away as he possibly can. It may sound ridiculous to many of us that we might be able to flee from the presence of the Lord, but it doesn't keep us from trying. Jonah is very helpful in helping us to understand, one, why we might flee, two, how to flee, and three, is it possible to flee? Well, why might we flee from the presence of the Lord? In one instance, we may flee because of God's holiness. Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 8, give us a great picture of what it's like to encounter the holiness of God, to be in the presence of his holiness. Beginning with verse 4, we read that after Jesus had finished preaching, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." Standing in the holiness of God, who is Jesus Christ, and seeing this great miracle, Peter doesn't say to Jesus, wow, we could really use you on staff. Or, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? What are you doing for the rest of your life? But when he encounters the holiness of God, he says, I want to get a as far away from you as I possibly can, or better yet, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. I need you to get as far away from me as you possibly can. Because when I'm in your presence, it makes me feel very small. I'm so overwhelmed that I'm afraid I might be crushed. And so you and I need to stay apart from one another. We don't like it when God holds up the mirror to our faces and we're forced to deal with the reality of our own condition. Hasn't COVID, that, COVID done this for you? 
It certainly has for me. One of the great difficulties is being left alone with yourself and you begin to do an inventory of your own life and to think on your own life and to think on your own being. Many of us have come up realizing we don't like what we see. And that God is doing an examining work on us and we don't like it. We feel like we are the ant under the magnifying glass and we feel the heat. Remove it from us. And so you might flee from God because you have come to know who God is in his holiness and you know who you are as you really are. A second reason you might flee is that you don't know who God is. Your fleeing is more passive in that you simply don't see what God has done with you and how you live your life. Or rather, I'm sorry, you simply don't see what God has to do with you and what he has to do with your life. It's a sort of practical atheism. For some, it's conscious. God, I'm aware of who you are but I don't want anything to do with you. And it's not because I think that you're holy or that your holiness has any effect on me, but I just want to live my life the way that I want to live my life. I don't want you meddling. I don't want you sticking your nose in my business, as Mark Genelette mentioned in his word. But for most of us, this sort of going on about our business as if God doesn't exist is not a conscious act, but an unconscious one. God simply doesn't factor into our lives. We ignore him because, by and large, we're not even aware that he's there. Or thirdly, you might flee from God because you resent him. And that's exactly why Jonah fled from God. We read in chapter 4, verse 2, that as Jonah prayed to the Lord, he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God, I'm angry with you because you are merciful. I'm angry with you because you are the God who forgives. Jonah begrudged God's mercy, and he wanted nothing to do with that. Any God who will show mercy to those who don't deserve it is not the kind of God I want to worship, much less follow. Well, is this you? Do you try to distance yourself from God because you resent his mercy? You can't stand the thought that your ex-spouse is now a Christian. You can't stand the change that has come over your child who for years you've tried to get on the right track to no avail and then Jesus comes along and they're a changed person. Is your posture always to question whether or not so-and-so has really become a Christian and it's just not fair that God would have mercy on them? You might flee from God because of his holiness. You might flee because you don't know who God is. And you might flee because you resent God. But whatever the reason, you flee. You attempt to flee from his presence. And how do you flee? Well, Jonah presents us with the most obvious of options. You just run away. You just take off. You get as far away from Dodge as you possibly can. 
And Jonah might even be able to justify his running away. Because other than not going to Nineveh, he's probably a really faithful guy. He clearly knows who God is in his statements in chapter 4. And elsewhere in 2 and 3, we see that he definitely has a relationship with God. He knows what God is like. And apart from his running away and trying to get to Tarshish, he's basically a faithful guy. He might say, 99% of my life, O Lord, honors you. But this one little thing is not enough to upset the relationship that we have, is it? It becomes readily apparent that the Ninevites are not the only ones in need of repentance. Not the only ones in need of turning away from their wickedness and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and living. This decision for Jonah to flee is not an exceptional decision in an otherwise faithful life, but an indication of something more sinister and serious. Is that you? God, I honor you in my life in nearly every way except this one thing, a sort of meatloaf spirituality. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. And we convince ourselves that this kind of life is good enough for God. God, 99% ain't bad. But such thinking is nothing short of rebellion against God. Not just rebellion in one area, but total rebellion. As Jonah is in full rebellion, so we are too if we seek to flee from God in even just one area of our lives. And this fleeing is only the symptom of a much deeper issue. Strangely enough, other than the obvious, just trying to run away from him as Jonah is doing, you can also attempt to flee from God by getting just close enough to him. This is the trick I used when I was a student in grade school. I learned that the last place that you should sit is in the back of the class where the teacher can see you. In fact, the best place is to be close to the front so that they're overlooking you. And you can kind of do whatever you want to do, pass notes, work on homework for another class, and they're not likely to see you. It's called hiding in plain sight. And we do this spiritually by putting on all the disguises of faith that we can find. We go to church. We live a moral life. We attempt to get active in the church. But our motivation is not a response to the love that God has implanted in our hearts by his spirit, but an attempt to do just enough to keep God happy. Our greatest fear is that God would actually get a hold of us and change us into something that we don't want to be. We want to maintain, maintain control, and our spiritual lives are governed by our own dictates and desires, not by God's word, and coming into a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ by placing our trust, our faith, our hope, our entire lives in him. Was well, that you? Are you attempting to look the part on the outside, but on the inside desperately attempting to hide from God? 
just close enough to be overlooked. But we know that any attempt to flee from the presence of the Lord, whether obvious or a more deceptive route, is in vain. Because can we really flee from God? No doubt we can walk away from God, we can rebel, we can oppose him, but we cannot flee from his presence. When we come to the Lord's table, don't we pray, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid? There is nowhere that we can go to escape his presence. God is God in Joppa. God is God in Jonah's hometown. He is king and lord of Nineveh, and he is king and lord and God of Tarshish. Listen to what David says in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted, acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is in my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There's not one place that we can go to flee from the presence of the Lord. If your heart this morning still says, flee, run away, let me say this to you. If you are fleeing from God, it is because you have misunderstood who he is. Whether you say, I don't want to do as he commands, or I cannot go to him because I'm afraid I'm not the kind of person God would want in my family, or I'm afraid that he's going to make me into something that I don't want to be, you're wrong. And this misunderstanding has eternal consequences, not just for this life, but in the next. Do you remember the story I read to you earlier from Luke's gospel about Peter falling down at Jesus' feet and saying, Jesus, get away from me. Peter wanting the presence of the Lord to even flee from him. Well, let me read to you what happens when God gets a hold of your life. John chapter 4, verse, verse, uh, John 21 Verses 4 through 7. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Do you see the change that's occurred? 
I mean, this is in the aftermath of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter hasn't really had the encounter with them or hasn't had the hard talk with them after denying the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And yet something has changed in Peter. He's actually not that worried about the judgment that would rightly be thrown upon him for denying the Lord Jesus Christ. He still understands the holiness of God, but when he finds out that it's the Lord, rather than saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Peter jumps into the water and swims as hard and as fast as he possibly can in order to get close to Jesus. Peter understands who God is in the Lord Jesus Christ in God's totality. Peter understands that the Jesus that he swims to, yes, is the holy of holiest. But he's also the one whose property is always to have mercy. He's the one he can always come home to no matter how far off he's gone. He's the one who takes in the prodigal son And he's the one that invites the self-righteous older brother into the party. God is not seeking out a particular kind of person. He's seeking out you. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and live. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.